This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. In the first few weeks of this new year, bullets hit at least 10 young people in D.C., killing two. These children and teens were some of the first victims of gun violence in 2023. And this sharp spike in youth violence, which outpaces rates in years past, rippled through the nation's capital. On January 7th... Our top local story is breaking this evening as we learn new details about the killing of Karan Blake, the 13-year-old shot by a homeowner. The homeowner is accused of shooting the teenager after seeing the boy tampering with cars. And just four days after the killing of Karan Blake... Breaking news on WTOP. Two children and an adult were shot as they got off a metro bus in northwest D.C. All three were rushed to the hospital. The kids, six and nine years old. Within these first days of the new year, D.C. parents saw gun violence hurt their young children. Meanwhile, the D.C. government was at odds over how to best keep this city safe. On January 17th, the D.C. Council overrode Mayor Muriel Bowser's veto and passed a sweeping revision to a century-old criminal code. The mayor has voiced concern these revisions would reduce penalties for crimes including gun offenses and carjacking. But Councilmember Robert White tells colleagues tonight that the criminal code should be about more than putting people behind bars. Our obligation is to take a comprehensive approach. We know that throwing hurt people into cages with other hurt people is not going to heal anybody. The mayor says the lower sentencing parameters will make the city less safe, while the council thinks these updates make the city safer and more fair. So how should our city deal with violent crime? Who's right? And while lawmakers debate this issue, how can we keep the city safe now? D.C. Police Chief Robert Conti weighs in. Welcome to the DMV Download. I'm your host, Luke Garrett, and joining me in D.C. Police Headquarters is Chief Robert Conti III. Chief, thank you for making the time. Thank you so much for having me. Can you believe January is done? I mean, this month has gone by fast. You are so right about that, man. Uh, these days, uh, time seems to move uh, pretty fast, especially after I pass 50. So yeah, time is moving pretty quickly. <laughs> time is moving fast. And as you know, we enter 2023, our city did get off to a violent start, especially for youth. There are a couple of cases that we'll talk about. As we start this year and go into February, you know, what is D.C. police doing on the ground to really keep that from happening again? Yeah, so we're deploying our resources. Uh, we're working with uh, communities all across uh, our city. I uh, just convened a call with some of our faith-based clergy across the city to just have conversations about current issues, the state of uh, things. We met with our ANC commissioners. The mayor convened a meeting that uh, I was honored to attend to be there with all of the uh, ANC commissioners just to talk about, you know, what the real data shows, right? Mm. So, I mean, if you look at D.C. historically, again, going all the way back to 2013, I think was the time frame that we looked at when we had less murders in our city. The difference is, you know, in, like we, we are seeing far less violent crime, but it it doesn't feel that way. Right. So addressing the fear of crime and reassuring the public uh, that we are here, that we are focused in on driving crime down, it's really important that we do that. And that's going to take our whole, all of our communities, government, everyone involved in that. Mm, and you kind of alluded to this, but as an individual listening, a D.C. resident, you know, we all want to keep this city safe. What can individuals do? You know, like we're going to talk about the police department, but 
everyone plays a role here. What would you recommend for individual DC residents to do? Yeah, so I think, you know, the first thing is we all have to be in position where we are not tolerating unlawful behavior in our communities. And when we do see unlawful behavior, I think we have a responsibility uh, to notify the police. For example, if there's someone in your community who is stashing a firearm mm. uh, in an abandoned car or on in the wheel well of a car or on their persons and you see that, let's not wait until there's a shooting or someone is, or someone is shot or errant round goes through a window and hit an innocent person. Mm. Let's not find ourselves in that space when we can report those things uh, proactively. Our police officers took over 3,000 illegal firearms off the streets of the District of Columbia last year. That was over 800 more than what we did the previous year. So, mm. you know, those are the things when those shots are going off, when people are finding themselves uh, victims of crime, those are the things that really scare people. And we need to, you know, focus in on that. Community members can call that type of uh, stuff in. I think parents have a, a clear role in a lot of the stuff that's going on. What mm. you allow your child to do or not you not do. Uh, parents, you have to be parents. And that is important. That's an important piece that we don't talk a lot about. But it is very, very, very important. My mother's four foot 11. But I tell you, as a kid, I was scared to death of her because she did not play. And I think we have kids sometimes who oftentimes don't even show their parents respect. And that's something that as a community, we really have to have mm. to deal with. I'm not suggesting that the answer to that is law enforcement, but really kind of a whole community approach to addressing some of the issues that we see with our young people who are showing up with trauma, yep. who are showing up with you know uh, impacts from the pandemic, from being isolated, not connected to services, all of those things. And and again, this is not a, a one-off or where the police, you know, the, the, and the police can fix this by doing X. These are not the issues that we're seeing right now. It's a whole community approach. If you're a parent listening right now, what can you do? So, you know, I'm a father. And I will tell you this, I mean, if my children are are doing something that they should not be doing, I mean, there should be consequences for their actions. I mm. mean, I think that's just a, a basic principle. Uh, if we are not holding our children accountable for their actions, I think that leads to other spaces where they act out or show up and do things and, and there are no consequences. I think that parents, again, just have to be parents. Uh, we cannot get away from that. We cannot have this conversation about violence and have this conversation about what's showing up in our communities without really talking about parents. Now, you know, I'm not the guy who's going to be able to give you the answer in terms of, you know, well, you know, well, if parents are not doing this, you know, we should lock up all the parents. I'm not suggesting that. Right. But I think that that is a community issue, a community concern that has to be talked about with okay, how do we work in this space? How do we work with parents? I had a parent after the ANC meeting on Saturday, I mean, essentially pleading with me that she had been pleading with the system to keep her son incarcerated because mm. of some of the things that she knew he was doing in community. She was very upset about it. And wow. the fact that he had been released, a mother is a mother is pleading with me. And, and I'm like, you know, what can I do to help? And one of the things I did, I connected her uh, with someone at the one's office Say, Hey, if you thought your son might be receptive to receptive to these types of services, uh, you know, there's a pathways program, there are other alternatives. Mm. And, you know, she said that he would be. So, you know, my hope is that we're able to get him connected and that perhaps, you know, he's a better human being or he's a better young man as a result of some intervention. But this is a parent who's pleading out. So my heart really goes out to parents who want to see some accountability for their children. But for whatever reason, the system is not, you know, is not holding young people accountable in all cases. Mm. 
And there was a recent report, a national report came out recently that says DC saw a 70% increase in carjackings between 2019 and 2021. You've been on the show to talk about carjackings before, just sure. a few months ago. Has anything changed in the attack of this issue? What can individuals do to either protect themselves or be hopeful that the MPD is doing something about it? So, you know, again, this is this. I'm sure this is an issue. We say, hey, this is a, a MPD thing, you know, to fix. It's not an MPD thing to fix. We're going to lock up people who are out here carjacking. But how do we get to those people before they get to the point where they're carjacking, mm. right, is where everyone else can can play a part in that. Some of the people who have been involved in carjackings, and we know, we look at, you go back to 2019, that's pre-pandemic, 2020 during the pandemic, 2021 coming out sort of of the pandemic onto 2022. And when we look at where we are right now, a decrease, yes, in robberies and carjackings. But again, if you're that person that got carjacked yesterday, we just charged a young man. I think the report is out early. I mean, like six carjackings or seven. Fifteen-year-old. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like, what is what, like? Yes, he carjacked, but like, what are the other issues that got this fifteen-year-old like out? carjacking, you know, six or seven people. I mm. mean, that's that's very disturbing. I think that's the bigger issue. And that's where you will oftentimes hear me talk about accountability, right? What happened like with the first carjacking that he did? And if he has other charges, like some of these kids, sometimes we have to ensure greater accountability. And that means they got to sit down sometimes. And that means that they have to get the services that they need or the programming that they need mm. or the level of supervision or whatever it is that they need so that they're not in community committing other types of, of violent acts like carjacking. Mm. And you know, that really dovetails right into the revised criminal codes. D.C. Council just overrode a veto from the mayor on this criminal code. It's a century-old criminal code, and it lowers sentencing for a few violent crimes. You know, where do you stand on that? I've been very public about where I stand uh, on that, I, and I've said that anytime we're talking about lowering penalties for violent offenders who commit crimes in our city. That's a non-starter for me. Uh, you know, I think that you that you look back at, you know, look, who are the people who weighed in on this and said, hey, look, like the way that we're doing it is problematic, right? You have the U.S. attorney, you have the police chief, you have the mayor, you have both judges from Superior Court and the Court of Appeals weighing in to say, hey, there, there's mm. some things here that, that you know, are, are probably going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to be in a, in a bad spaces, you know, we're, we're doing too much too soon. Yes, I agree that the criminal code needs to be reformed. And there are a lot of things that we agree on, like what was the problem with focusing on the things that we all agree on, those things that we needed to work on, like lowering penalties, having more conversations with community. I just received two letters from community members uh, yesterday who, you know, I mean, they're just one talking about their their support for for law enforcement but just how disgusted they are you know at the fact that with all the discussion around uh carjackings and all these other like why would we even think about signaling to people in the community that that's okay or, or we take it less serious today and of course you have people who argue well you know the penalty is what it is now and and people right. are still committing carjackings yeah i get that but if i'm the person who's getting carjacked i i want whatever I, whatever the penalty is that's right now, that's what I want. It's not, hey, yeah, you know, let's let's give them the, the reduced version. Like, I'm victimized. I'm traumatized. You know, I, I might now have to go out and buy a gun because I feel, you know, in fear of my life or being carjacked again. I mean, it the, the damage that's done to people, the trauma that victims, like, get exposed to, I, I don't think that, the, like, that's given enough weight through 
my mm. lens, right? Like I don't, I don't believe it that it is. So in other words, it, it's for the victims. It's for their that justice that has to do with the victims, not just the justice for the perpetrator. Exactly. So you know, I mean, if like like all all of the stuff that that that's done, you know, through the through the reform. Well, not everything, but some of the things that we're that we're talking about that are concerning to people. You know, I, I think you, you, you look at that, like how are victim where where's the victim in, in all of this, mm. right? Who does this actually help? Is the victim being helped or is it the person who victimized, the person who carjacked, the person who robbed? Like who right. benefits from 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 what it is we're doing right now? And that's mm. the real question. And I think if you if you go through those things that we're talking about, like I, I don't I don't think victims win in that space. And again, that's a non starter for me. Right. And I was about to read to you, you know, this piece from the D.C. Council that says there's no evidence that longer sentences, as enabled by a sentencing enhancement, lead to less crime. But what you're talking about is the justice for the victim, not necessarily the recidivism idea. I'm talking about justice for the victim, but there's also a report from the U.S. Parole Commission that talks about um, how we know that gun defenders are the highest on the chart when it comes to uh, um, the percentage of gun offenders who recidivate, right? I think there's somewhere up in the area about 67% or something like that. 68%. I was close, right? Oh, you do have it. Okay, okay. Well, well, to to my point. So, I mean, yeah, we can make these arguments, but let's just talk about the real people. Put the statistics aside for a second. You are the guy. You Mm. are the guy on whatever street, Fifth Street, and somebody comes up to you, put a gun in your face, take your car, take your coat, and then on top of that, maybe they shoot you in the leg maybe they hit you in the head with the gun and take off with your car like i can appreciate the trauma that they may have been through i can appreciate all the bad things that may have happened to them but some bad stuff just happened to me too what is my justice as a victim in all of this stuff that has happened and okay well the justice is hey we're going to find a way to put this guy back in community you know sooner than he otherwise would be and that's 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 justice i i, I just don't i don't see the victim's voice in that mm. and i'm sorry i'm i'm sure that people who might differ with my opinion but i deal with victims every single day and uh and i can tell you that there are a lot of them that are infuriated by mm. that the revised criminal code is now in the hands of congress and ultimately president biden so if all of congress is here in this little room with us and president biden what would you say to them as they're reviewing and it's in their hands now I would say review it through the lens of you being a victim. That's what I would say. Would you be satisfied with the outcome of whatever it is we're changing? Would you be satisfied with the outcome if you were the person on the receiving end of that crime? If your loved one was the person on the receiving end? You will oftentimes hear me say people respond differently depending on their proximity to the pain. And when you are very close to that pain, it feels a whole heck of a lot different than when you are removed from that and you're you know you're you don't you do some analysis and you know come up with a number or whatever it is that was done i'm sure there's a a lot of uh, a lot of focus that that went into this but again i would just say look at it through the lens of someone who's been victimized we'll get back to this discussion of uh, youth violence go to those two cases i mentioned but before we do you know back in 2021 dcpd you know saw a 25 percent increase in the number of registered guns that dc residents registered. 
How do you look at citizens arming themselves in this city? How, how do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think people have a, a right to bear arms based upon the Second Amendment and what the law allows for people to do uh, here in the District of Columbia. Uh, certainly, uh, I mean, I know people across all spectrums, right, who decide that they want to have a firearm. They want to go through the training. Mm. And they want to, you know, get learn about gun safety and they want to own a firearm. And, and to be quite honest with you, I mean, those are not the guns that are showing up on crime scenes. Those are not the guns that are being used in most of the crimes. It's not to say that it doesn't happen from time to time. It does. But, you know, in in large part, you know, these are law-abiding citizens who, who because the law allows them to own a firearm, they want to uh, exercise that right. And I mean, I, I have no objection to that. I want people to be responsible gun owners. I want people to understand that there are uh, risks and vulnerabilities there. Uh, most recently, um, there's a case that I'm thinking of in the last couple of days where a young man stole his mother's registered firearm. And I mean, those types of things, you know, they they happen from time to time. Uh, There are other cases where sometimes young children get a hold of legal firearms. And that makes for a a bad situation, you know, with a little finger in in that trigger. So there's certainly risk and vulnerabilities there. But I certainly, you know, for people who want to be responsible gun owners, I mean, I, I, I really don't have any issues with that. We'll be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Chief Conti, let's talk about Karan Blake, the 13-year-old boy who was gunned down in Northeast D.C. in the early morning hours of January 7th. So just this week, the shooter, Jason Lewis, was charged with second-degree murder three weeks after the killing of Blake. Lewis, who works for the D.C. Department of Parks and Recreation, claims Blake was breaking into cars before he shot the boy and that he committed no crimes. Lewis shot the boy with a legally registered gun, but he is now in custody. And... Despite that, many community members were outraged initially when Lewis wasn't arrested at the scene on January 7th, that early morning. Why wasn't Lewis arrested and charged that day? Why did it take three weeks? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, that unfortunately, I mean, it's something that, that, that happens regularly. We never, I mean, you, you can go back and search through every case. We never prematurely uh, put out the name of a person who has not been charged with a crime. We never prematurely put that out. We don't want to impact the wheels of justice. We don't want to impact um, the outcome of the case. We don't want to impact you know, a person being able to have a fair trial. We don't want to impact any of that stuff. And that is not part of the process. People watch TV and, you know, oh, they should have done this or they should have done that. And in reality, you know, we were working with the U.S. Attorney's Office from the onset, on that morning, on the scene of that shooting, we were on the phone with the attorneys about what evidence we had at that time. And we were in concurrence with each other that based upon what we had at that time, there was not enough information to place a person under arrest. And I would hope that people would respect the 30 years of law enforcement that I bring to the table, the conferring with our U.S. attorney partners to ensure that, okay, this is what the police are thinking. What are the attorneys who have to prosecute this case? What 
what are they thinking? Like, okay, well, everybody's in lockstep here on what are the next steps forward. Like, this is, this is the jobs that we are paid to do. So, like, we have to trust that process. There are a lot of other murders that have happened in our city where I know who the suspect is. Mm. I know who the suspect is. And I would love to go and lock them up right now. But if the evidence is not there to support that arrest, the law does not allow me to do that. And I want to make sure that every arrest that we make is an arrest that is going to withstand uh, scrutiny uh, in the court of public law. As we move through this, we got to make sure that we are very intentional uh, in how we, uh, how we address community. Certainly, the community wants transparency. Certainly, the community has a right to know, you know, why is a 13-year-old dead? Uh, and I said, I will say again now, like I said before, you know, I, I want to see that same level of commitment, that same level of passion anytime we have somebody murdered uh, in our city. Uh, I certainly feel it. I certainly feel it as I stand over um, the, 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 the lifeless body of, you know, people who have been born and raised in this city. I certainly feel that. Mm. Right. And as a police chief, I mean, that's something that really, you know, it, 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 it penetrates my heart every time I see that. I mean, some people don't know what it sounds like to hear a mother, you know, screaming out like in pain. I mean, you, you mm. literally feel her pain from her heart as she's standing there in close proximity while her child is on the ground. And sometimes that child is a teenager. Sometimes that child is a grown man, but the pain is still the same. And I've, I've experienced that on a number of occasions. And I, it, 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 it is something, it is one of those things, man, that I, I really, um, I, I, I really take to heart as a, as a parent, you know, mm. and I, I hate to see anyone in that situation. But, you know, we have all have a responsibility, especially, again, when, it, when we're talking about gun violence uh, in our city. There are things that we can do, uh, especially when we see these illegal firearms in homes, when we see them on the street, on people, that kind of thing. Uh, we got to make sure we're doing our part to get those guns off the street. Mm. And moving on to that other case, four days after Karan Blake, a six-year-old and nine-year-old were shot after exiting a bus in Northwest DC. I think we all remember Mayor Bowser came to the scene and said that an idiot with a gun, you know, that's how she described um, the suspect. Uh, where are we in that investigation? I know there's arrest in one of the people involved in the fight, but not the shooter. Uh, where does that stand? So we are continuing to progress that case. Uh, we have had some movement on it, but we're not at the point right now where we're ready to close it. Uh, one of the persons involved, as you mentioned, was involved in the fight on the bus. Um, also used a knife. That person was arrested. And we're working right now to um, identify the other uh, the other people. There are you know, other pieces to this that we have to really make sure are, are together. You know, as we move forward uh, to try to levy charges against the person, you think about the video that has been out there. Uh, I'm asking citizens or people who, you know, live in that community, look at that video. I can assure you that the people involved are, are live within close proximity or hang within close proximity mm. of where this incident uh, happened on the bus. I mean, it's tragic, right? I mean, thankfully, these children didn't die, but that could be a different conversation with a bullet to the left or right. That could be a different conversation. So, you know, I mean, let, again, let's put that passion, you know, all that focus, you know, on the people who did this. And the mayor, you know, when she mentioned, you know, an idiot, uh, you know, that bus was filled with people who had nothing to do with this fight. And somebody, again, somebody thought it was okay to pull a gun and fire it 
while we have all these innocent people on the bus. And again, go, that goes back to your to your criminal code reform, right? Mm. Like, okay, so what do we what do we say to those to those victims in terms of how we view gun crime and what's important to us, right? Like, 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 yeah, the six and nine year old, like, 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 what, what, what do we, what do we say? To them, like, yeah, this is how serious we take it. We think we should move the penalty from here, you know, kind of down to here. That that just does not make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. And I, I guess it called me biased because, you know, I, I I tend to, you know, really look through the lens of of of, of the victim. Mm. You know, I mean, being born and raised in this city and seeing all that I've seen over the years, sometimes it's personal, real family, or or not, uh, or just everyday people. Man, I mean, like like I really have a heart for. People in our city who find themselves being victims of crime, of senseless crime at that. I mean, I'm, there's a lot of people in the media that are out there when I'm out there two, three o'clock in the morning standing over someone's child. Yeah. Right. I mean, there are a few people that are, you know, who are making some of these decisions that are out there when that's when that's happening. And, you know, when you have the ability to kind of look at things through that lens, uh, again, someone may say, well, you know, well, chief, you know, that's not fair. That's not fair to the perpetrators of the crime because they're, yeah, they are entitled to justice. And when they receive sentences in prison and all that kind of stuff and the justice system, you know, takes its course, you know, yeah, okay, now we're saying through this, yeah, well, we want to go back 15 years later or 20 years later and like, you know, look at that, look at that through a different lens now. How has that person been since they've been incarcerated? You know, hey, did they get in trouble while they were in jail? And if not, mm. they've done 15 or they've done 20 years. Yeah. So, you know, maybe they're ready to go back into society. I mean, I just I, I, I don't know while we're dealing while we're dealing with some of the, the very important issues that we're seeing in community with violent crime. I just don't think that that's the right approach. I'm sorry. I don't. We've been talking a lot about gun violence here. Yes. Um, but what else is on your mind? One of the things that I'm, I'm also thinking about, you know, as we move into this new year is uh, the, what are the things that we can prevent, right? What are the things that, that drive crime that we can prevent? Just making sure that we don't take our eye off the ball and how important uh, our police officers and community members working together, uh, how important that is. And the last thing that I'm really concerned about is the state of our schools with our, uh, as it relates to our school resource officers. SROs, yeah. You know, that is a that is a huge issue. Right. We were mandated uh, by law to reduce the number of officers that we had uh, assigned to the schools. And that number, uh, as of this year, is 60 in July, goes down to 40. And we had a meeting recently with principals from all across the city. And their their demand is like, we need our officers in our school. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Our force size is we have, you know, been losing officers and in the midst of a retirement bubble, again, right now we're at 3,377 officers. A lot of those officers who were assigned to the schools, as we were reducing the numbers of officers who were in the schools, they were eligible to retire or some had already retired but had come back because of their love for the kids in the schools. So so what do you think happened as those numbers started to reduce and we're getting rid of officers? They retired or retired again. And now we're down to about 48 officers that are responsible for charter schools and D.C. public schools. And they're, you know, responding to these things. But, you know, in that there's no real relationship mm. that happens with the young people. Right. Because they're just running from this place to this place. They're spread following the issues beforehand. Our police officers who were in the schools, they were able to form relationships uh, with the young people there, officer, they knew who officer so-and-so was. Uh, MPD had worked very hard to change some of its policies in terms of arrests when we wouldn't arrest for, you know, simple things that happen in school. But 
what? If there was a robbery in the school or an administrator got assaulted or another kid got beat really bad, like those are things that the police who were familiar with those students would be involved in. And, you know, now we're in this space where, uh, you know, I'm really concerned about that. Mm. Do you have enough officers? Not right now. We have, well, right now we have 3,377, as I mentioned. And when I was, um, when I first took over as the chief, uh, the day I started, we were at 3,799. That's a lot of police officers to lose in a very short period of time. And here's why I say not enough. Not enough because the demand has not changed. People have not said, I mentioned this to the ANC commissioners, I don't get calls saying, hey, chief, or emails. Hey, I hear they have a problem over in that ANC. We don't need our police officers over here. You can take them over there, put them in that community, loan them to them for a while, and uh, we'll mm. get them back in 30 days. That does not happen, and it has not happened. What people are saying is we want... We had this violent incident. We want to see more police presence. We want to see officers on foot. We got this going on. We got the, the demand is still there, but with less, much less resources to deal with some of the issues that we're dealing with now. Now, coming out of the pandemic, as the city has opened up and we look around the landscape of the city and you look in communities where more people are moving in and buildings are going up, that's police calls for service is what I'm thinking about. The times that we have to go out and respond to this and this and that in a particular community. But again, the number of officers being what it is, uh, you know, we want to stay focused on increasing that number. The thing I am happy about in that space, uh, we have 112 uh, police cadets. These are not police recruits talking about police cadets and these are kids that are all from our communities here in dc that have decided to take the same path that i did mm. they joined the police cadet program we're putting them through school we're paying them a salary we're giving them health benefits well, i mean we're taking care of all that stuff and soon these young people will be police officers on the streets of the District of Columbia, and some of them focusing on communities where they actually grew up. So I get excited about that, the opportunity that, that is there for them. So we're looking to hire them. Uh, we're looking to hire people in the community who have an interest uh, in law enforcement as well. As I mentioned, we're in a retirement bubble, but Washington, D.C. is not alone in that space. There are a lot of police agencies across the country where they're seeing this, you know, this, this, this reduced number of officers and trying to just figure it out. We're trying to think of more creative things other alternatives to police response where it doesn't take a police officer to respond where, you know, we could perhaps uh, introduce some other type of response that's that's not a law enforcement officer where you could train people quicker. They would not be required to handle a firearm mm. or use a firearm, but, you know, they could respond. For example, you know, like at a mall, as an example, right. security guards, if there was a, an alarm at a door, an unarmed security guard might go and like check the door and, okay, somebody left it unlock you know it didn't require some uh, armed police officer to respond but if there, there was a break-in or something that same security officer unarmed would then call the police well we could you know like employ people to like do that in other things take reports that does not require a police officer to respond to those so we're exploring uh, mm. all of those options and we'll be you know having conversations to see what type of support we can get in that space chief conti thank you so much for giving us all the time and to let us all kind of pick your brain and hear where you stand on all these issues absolutely my pleasure thanks so much take care Right after talking with Chief Conti, I reached out to the new chair of the Judiciary and Public Safety Committee, Councilmember Brooke Pinto. She responded with a brief statement saying, in part, quote, the idea that the criminal code revisions will lead to lesser sentences just does not align with the facts. I will continue to work with Chief Conti on interventions to address the terrible scourge of carjackings. 
The last thing we need is more residents arming themselves with guns, end quote. And it's worth noting on the day that the council passed this new criminal code, Councilmember Pinto said amendments could be made to this bill. The new law will not go into effect for another three years, during which time I intend to fully explore whether additional amendments to the criminal code make sense. And amid this rise in gun violence in D.C., younger people are really being encouraged to apply for a job through the city's summer youth employment program in order to stay occupied in a positive way. Morris Hughes, head of D.C.'s Department of Employment Services, told WTOP people between the ages of 14 and 24. You need to go online to summerjobs.dc.gov and complete your application. This program partners with hundreds of employers to provide training and guidance to young people in the city. Mayor Muriel Bowser says she really hopes this program will curb gun violence this year. Everybody knows that keeping a person occupied is one way to keep them out of trouble. And that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download Podcast. This show is brought to you by WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, and 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland. And if time allows this week, let us know how we're doing on this show. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you and give us some stars. Have a great week, and we'll talk next Wednesday. See you then.